Good evening, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger for Arctic Ice Hockey. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and our podcast Twitter handle at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. If you're a first-time listener or long-time veteran but still haven't done so, please feel free to follow and subscribe on Megaphone, Spotify, Apple, and Google. Subscribing is free, and it keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we're going to be continuing our 12 Days of Christmas Thankful for Something Winnipeg Jets Related series. In case you aren't familiar, I usually talk about something that I'm thankful for the Jets for giving us, um, but I won't actually be singing out the 12 Days of Christmas, so if you're expecting that, you'll be disappointed. If you do want to know something positive about the Jets, though, this is your place. My first 12 Days of Christmas involved Dustin Bufflin. Tonight's episode will cover two different guys, Toby Enstrom and Vili Heinola. Those who've had the pleasure of watching either of them play might indicate that they're actually one and the same player, just from different lands and different generations. Needless to say, both are better than a partridge in a pear tree. As far as NHL updates are concerned, there is one announcement to make later on in the show that involves the San Jose Sharks. You'll hear some thoughts on that, as well as a brief preview of tomorrow night's rematch against the Detroit Red Wings on the road. But first, some festive pre-holiday celebrations involving the 12 days of Christmas. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two elite defensemen and... A basket of disappointment when one of them retires on bad terms and the other is sent back overseas to Finland. The two elite defensemen I'm referring to involve former Jet Toby Enstrom and current Jet Vili Heinola. Two sides of the same coin across different generations and different franchises when you think about it. Even though the Atlanta era and Winnipeg era are part of the same continuous timeline, really, Toby Enstrom is from a different time period altogether. I say this because the version of, of Toby Enstrom that Atlanta got is significantly different than the one that Winnipeg fans have grown accustomed to over the past several seasons. When Enstrom was with Atlanta, he was a lot more mobile, and he was actually a, a really nice puck-moving offensive defenseman. In his prime, Enstrom made skating look very easy. If you can believe it, there was a time that Enstrom actually posted back-to-back 50 or more point seasons. To say that now sounds a little bit crazy, especially considering the kind of defenseman Toby Enstrom became later on in his career. As Enstrom's age started to creep up, so too did his point totals go down. It was an unfortunate side effect of an often injury-riddled career. In particular, Enstrom's knees appeared to take something of a hit as time went on, and he wasn't as mobile as he used to be. What he did become, however, was something of a shutdown second-pairing defenseman, an elite one at that. For my money, I don't know that there's ever been somebody who's played for this franchise that's been as purely good as Enstrom was at defending against the rush, against opposing skaters in the defensive zone along the walls, and then finding himself in, in better positions to create zone exits and spring breakouts. What Enstrom later on lacked in his career was mobility, so he made up for it with uh, acute excellence in both decision-making and positioning. Enstrom was always something of a cerebral defenseman, but as he got older and less mobile, he relied far more on his high defensive IQ to carry him out of serious situations. Enstrom was a marvelous defender, and it's really a shame that the Jets and Toby ended on such bad terms. I feel like the way that they split and went their separate ways really didn't reflect well on the team. The final separation came after the 2017-2018 playoff run. Enstrom got benched during one of the late Vegas series games, and the Jets, of course, didn't make it through. Enstrom was personally offended by this, and honestly, I was hurting for him too. I felt like he'd done everything he could to deserve a spot on this team, and he's one of the best defensemen the Jets have ever had. He offered something that no other Jets defenseman could offer, and that was pure defensive prowess. Josh Morrissey's the only one who's ever gotten close to what Enstrom was in his prime. But even then, Enstrom just has a unique ability to seal off plays and make the perfect decision every time. 
a lot of people mistakenly believed that his small stature and size meant that he got bodied and, and was forced off the puck frequently. In fact, Enstrom used his positioning and long stick length to compensate. Toby, more than anyone else, was completely aware of his shortcomings and his limitations, and so he always worked around it to the best of his ability. What was more impressive was that he always got very good results. It's not often that somebody with some sort of cosmetic issue tends to really succeed in the NHL, especially earning the trust of coaches throughout the years. Small guys like Enstrom occasionally have a hard time garnering ice time because of the perception that they're soft and weak. And it is true, guys could, you know, push Enstrom around when they felt like it. What Toby did, however, was find a way to limit the chances against when he was getting bodied. He was usually good about working himself out of trouble, whether it's shielding the puck long enough to get support behind him, making a breakout pass, or looking for a safe outlet somewhere. Enstrom's ability to predict the play and make the right decision almost every time was such a benefit to his skill set. It's likely the reason he remained one of Winnipeg's best shutdown defensemen throughout his entire career. Until recently, I wasn't sure that anyone could ever step in and fill the void that Enstrom left. Winnipeg's left side of the defense immediately looked a lot worse. There was no immediate replacement available, and the Jets had guys like Ben Sherratt, Joe Morrow, and a variety of depth defensemen to try and replace Toby's impact. The painful truth was, however, that no one else really got close. As much as many Jets fans bemoan the loss of Ben Sherratt to free agency, he's just not that great of a defenseman. He's not really a top-four guy, and he didn't have the same kind of impact that Enstrom did in the defensive zone. While Sherratt has a bruising presence and a huge hammering shot, his biggest issue was that he just had a bit of trouble making uh, high-level IQ plays. Oftentimes, Sherratt got himself into the kinds of trouble that Enstrom always avoided. Ben was also not really uh, disciplined in a lot of respects. He took a lot of stick penalties and occasionally cross-checked guys behind the net. He was something of a goon, although you wouldn't really get that sense from his reputation. I'm sure the Habs are happy with him, but generally speaking, I didn't like the idea of paying him anywhere near, like, three to three and a half million dollars. As, like, a one to one and a half million guy on your third pairing, he's, like, an ideal fit for that role. But in a second pairing or higher role, at a much higher cap hit, the Jets really didn't need to pay that amount of money. If ever they were going to replace Enstrom's impact, it had to come through a draft pick or a trade. And really, the Jets just don't make that many trades unless it's at the trade deadline. Looking at their prospect farm system, guys like Dylan Sandberg, Leon Kavanki, um, and recently added Declan Chisholm, Giovanni Velotti, there are a lot of names that the Jets have to choose from, but one ended up sticking out to them. Our next uh, 12 Days of Christmas thing to be thankful for, Vili Heinola, was one of the most highly touted defensive prospects to come out of the draft from last season. He was taken with a pick acquired during the Truba trade, although calling it an acquisition would be something of a misnomer. Winnipeg essentially got back its own first-round pick that it traded to New York for Kevin Hayes. In many ways, things kind of came full circle, with Truba going to New York and the first-round pick and Neil Pionk coming back to the Jets. At the time, we all expected Neil Pionk to struggle mightily, especially since he'd had a, such a rough time in New York. He certainly wasn't going to be a defensive expert like Enstrom, that much was clear. But the guy that Winnipeg did draft with a first-round pick, Vili Heinola, has met that expectation, and then some. In just a minute, we're going to take a look at Vili Heinola's track to the Winnipeg Jets and what he means for the future of this team. Guess what time it is? It's my favorite time of day, which is any time of day that I get to talk about Vili Heinola. I'll be level with you, like I honestly could just watch this dude's highlights all day, and it, I really wouldn't get tired of it. He's that good. For those who aren't overly familiar with Vili Heinola's track to the NHL, he's kind of an unusual defenseman. He was quietly regarded as one of the best defensive prospects uh, in last year's NHL draft. But the funny thing is, he kind of was a little bit under the radar. Now, he was selected 20th overall, so it's not like he was totally off the map of the first round. He definitely was on a lot of radars, and probably 
a lot of scouting departments liked what they saw from him. At the time, scouts thought that his skating and uh, his small stature might limit him. They were concerned that he might get pushed around in the much larger league that is the NHL, compared to where he was playing in, Liga. What surprisingly didn't get that much play was just how good um, Heinle's scoring had been in his previous leagues. He was one of the highest scoring under-18 Finnish defensemen of all time in Liga, which you just don't ever see. The only other time it's really happened was like Miro Heiskinen, and we all know that Heiskinen has been a sensational skater for Dallas. I think Heinle's lack of explosive skating and an incredibly strong edgework, plus his smaller stature, probably made people think that he wasn't going to be as good. Generally speaking though, I'm kind of on the fence about this. I tend to think that outcomes over technique are, are a little more important in some situations. If there's something there, maybe the technique isn't the main thing that's going to be the deciding factor in whether or not you take a prospect like this. Heinle, to his credit, still had a lot of raw tools and a lot of skill sets that would have been perfectly suited to what the Jets needed. Scouts did continually praise his high play-reading IQ and defensive ability. Many stressed that, at such a young age, he had an incredibly mature game, especially for what amounted to like a teenager um, under the age of 18. Kids who are like 16, 17, they just don't come into professional men's leagues like Heinle did and actually excel. The only guys who did tend to be guys like Patrick Laine, um, Alexander Barkov, I mean, we're talking like some of the top-tier prospects to come through Finland. Incredibly, Heinola is like right at the top of that list. He is a phenomenal prospect and talent. And look, the Truba trade when it happened still isn't great. Um, I think that a lot of things that panned out in that trade probably shouldn't have happened to begin with. I think that a lot of... If, if the Jets had the situation to do over again, they probably would have handled it a lot differently than they did. But, all of that said... The prospect that they got with their first round pick taken in the Truba trade is truly phenomenal. Vili Heinola has already made his NHL debut for the Jets, and it's hard to say that he's been anything but impressive. He was already Winnipeg's best defenseman from virtually game one that he played. And that's kind of troubling when Josh Morrissey is supposed to be that guy, but that's kind of a separate topic for a different day. On its own merits, Vili Heinola remains one of Winnipeg's best defensive prospects, and probably one of their best skaters, period. His edgework actually really wasn't much of an issue when he came to the Jets. In fact, he had pro-level skating, and it was actually NHL caliber. It looked totally fine, and he'd probably spend a lot of time in the offseason working on it. He's not somebody who possesses tremendously high skating ability. He tends to just be a smart skater, and I think that's what separates him from the rest. He's not going to blitz and burn you with, like, 6,000 miles of pace. That's not his game. He's a much more cerebral, headier, intelligent player in the vein of somebody like Toby Enstrom. In fact, in approach, mentality, and the way that Heinle tends to play, he actually does remind me a lot of a younger Enstrom. What is especially surprising is just how good defensively Heinle is. He always seems to be in the right positions, and he knows how to leverage his frame, slight as it may be, to get the inside advantage against opposing skaters. He's not going to win that many wall battles, but what he does do is he finds nice passing outlets, smart shooting lanes, and incredibly sharp vision that helps him set up um, nice-looking plays, even from greater distances. Heinola is very mobile, and he uses that mobility to his advantage, whether that involves him leading a breakout from his own zone or setting up something through the neutral zone. He's also very good in the offensive zone, which contributed to him earning 5 points in 8 games for the Jets. As far as a professional debut for a defenseman goes, I don't think that Heinola could have done more to impress the Jets than he already did. Obviously, there were a few games where you could tell that he was still a developing rookie in the NHL, but I, I just don't see what you could really fault him for. I mean, he was impressive throughout his entire stint, and I, I think it's a nice teaser for what's to come from him. With some additional strength training and continued development, whether it's here or abroad, I mean, Heinola is already a special prospect and a special kid. Let's just get this out of the way. Heinola may be the best defenseman that'll ever play for Winnipeg, and I don't say that lightly. He truly is a special prospect, 
and his defensive acumen and maturity are well beyond his years. It's so rare that somebody of his talent comes into a team like the Jets and immediately steals the spotlight as the best defenseman on the ice. Even if Morrissey were at 100% this season, I feel like Heinola would still have a shot at the title. The pairing of Vili Heinola and Neil Pionk actually looked serviceable, which is kind of shocking considering Pionk was still bad at the start of the season. Vili is still going to make rookie mistakes from time to time, but I, I'm so excited to see what he does when he comes back to the NHL. Right now he's currently on loan to Luko, but when he returns back, whether it's with the Manitoba Moose or the Jets next season, I have high hopes for this kid, man. I'm so excited. Maybe the sting of the true betrayed and the sudden Bufflin retirement, in essence, has kind of put this in my mind, but... Heinola is such an exciting prospect for this Jets pipeline that's desperately needed a top-end defenseman. The Jets right now are kind of flush with a lot of depth defenseman prospects or guys who are probably going to top out at second pairing. In my mind, Dylan Sandberg's status is really up in the air considering he hasn't committed to signing with the Jets anytime recently. His insistence on staying in college just makes me a lot more nervous as to whether or not he's actually going to stay with the Jets. Winnipeg honestly needs him to sign sooner or later and, and commit to this team because... As it stands, the Jets just don't have that many top four defensive prospects lying around. Leon Gavanki might be a shout, Declan Chisholm and Giovanni Velotti might be decent, uh, Chisholm especially is looking really, really good. But beyond that, you've got a couple of other guys like uh, Luke Green, who's a French prospect at this point, Jonathan Kovacevic, who I actually think will have an initial role at some point. He's big and he's good. Uh, and then you've got more fringe prospects like Croy Evingson and a few others. I think Nelson Nogier at this point we all know is not an NHLer. That whole group of names I just mentioned is probably going to be fighting for, by and large, five or six defenseman slots. These aren't going to be top four positions for the most part. That leaves something of a crater between the Jets' current defensive core and the prospects that they want to fill in with reinforcements. Getting Heinola at pick number 20 is honestly a steal for what the Jets need, and really, just a steal on pure value alone. People are now realizing that he might have been one of the best defensemen, if not the best defenseman, taken in this draft, and while I maybe wouldn't go that far as some of the others have done, I would definitely put him as one of the top 10 skaters in last year's draft class. He's such a smart, intelligent defenseman, and not many like him are made these days. It's hard to coach natural defensive and offensive instincts into a two-way prospect like Heinola, so I think the Jets are very blessed to have somebody so talented, and he's definitely one of the guys I'd be thankful for for 12 days of Christmas. Winnipeg Scandinavian scouts should be commended for identifying Heinola's value at this pick. It's definitely not the most home-runny of picks that they've ever taken, but they definitely swung a little bit. I'm extremely glad they did because it looks like it's going to pay off in a big, big way. Probably a, a Grand Slam of sorts. Speaking of Grand Slams, up next we're going to take a look at a couple of situations around the NHL, one of which just occurred today. Welcome back. Hope you guys have been enjoying the show so far. And if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe on Google, Spotify, Apple, and the Megaphone app. If you have any questions or comments for the podcast, please send them my way to HLLivingLoco on Twitter and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets for our podcast Twitter handle. It may shock you to know that I do actually read both, so if you ever need to get at me, that's where you can find me. Up for tonight's first big piece of news, the Sharks have fired head coach Pete DeBoer along with several assistant coaches in a massive sweep. Now, the Sharks have publicly said that this is totally performance-based, and I actually believe them. San Jose has been an absolute mess, whether it's the goaltending, defense, or, well, pretty much anything that's not the penalty kill. This move was very likely inevitable. I feel like the goaltending and, and everything else was kind of a mess for the Sharks. The goaltending was the biggest thing, but I don't know, the team just looks kind of broken recently. I don't know what to say. It does speak volumes that the Sharks basically cleaned house from most of the coaching staff. It feels like they're starting with a clean slate and want to try again. This is a pretty drastic step to take, and hopefully it pans out for the Sharks because they are a very good team with a lot of talent. 
and it kind of sucks to see them doing so poorly. I'm a big Jumbo Joe Thornton fan, and I like a lot of their players, including guys like uh, Tomas Hurdle, um, Timo Meyer. a number of those guys are all really talented, and they deserve better. Just, you know, not when they're playing the Jets. They can totally tank it when they lose to the Jets. I am more than cool with that. In other somewhat related news, Colorado is currently beating the Philadelphia Flyers, which is, well, kind of surprising. I think the Flyers are good this year. Not entirely sure. I'm just going to say they are. They seem like a decent enough team, and, well, most of the Metro division is pretty good. The Avs, though, are also a pretty decent team. I won't say that they're amazing, because they're not, but they're pretty decent. Pretty decent. It would certainly be helpful if the Avs started giving up goals within the next 20 minutes or so, but, you know, who's to say that's actually going to happen? Francouz is apparently putting on a bit of a clinic for them right now in net, so, yeah, I wouldn't get my hopes up for that one. If the score holds, the Avs will move up to uh, three points ahead of the Jets for second place in the division with the same amount of games played. Tomorrow night, however, Winnipeg has a chance to get back uh, closer to even terms again, one point behind if they win, against the Detroit Red Wings. I don't expect a whole lot to change tomorrow other than the fact that Dennis Chalowski and Dylan McElrath have been demoted to the Grand Rapids Griffins. I'm honestly a little bit surprised that Chalowski got sent down. I know that he had a really dumb play yesterday that ended up in the shorthanded goal against, but... I still would not demote him. Let's be 100% honest, the entire Red Wings roster is something of a tire fire right now, and it's not likely to get better anytime soon. Demoting Chalowski to me maybe sends the wrong message, if it's a punishment, if it's punitive. Even if it's not punitive, I'm just not really sure I understand the decision. Their defense needs a lot of help, and getting Chalowski meaningful top 4 NHL minutes seems like a bigger priority. If you want him to develop, I feel like you need to do it at the highest levels, and he's actually been a pretty good defenseman for the most part. I just don't think that he has anything to really prove at the AHL level. Dylan McElrath, that's fine, they can demote him, and there's not really much of an issue there. But Chalowski, I just don't feel like has done enough to really deserve demotion. Either way, Winnipeg does probably benefit from this move. Um, I do expect the Red Wings to be a lot angrier than they were on Tuesday, and they were already angry enough. Um, so we'll see what happens. I feel like the Jets have a pretty a pretty easy opportunity to get another victory. I think Jimmy Howard will probably be in net. I'm sure Eric Comrie's not going to play again. He, um... Yeah, I don't know how much of an NHL career he's got left, and I, I feel bad for him because he just seems like a nice kid, and to get stapled, you know, behind that whole defense and the mess that is the Red Wings, not really a supportive situation. I hope he uses whatever remaining games he's got to uh, prove his value and, and really find his game again. He was such a bright prospect for the Jets for a long time, and it's a shame that he never panned out. After that game, Winnipeg is back home for a couple of games uh, against Philadelphia, Carolina, Chicago, before a brief visit to Minnesota and then back home for Montreal and St. Louis. And then they'll play the Blues again on December 29th, and then the Colorado Avalanche on December 31st. The final two games of the month are going to be on the road, and I don't expect either of them to be particularly easy. For some reason, the Jets have had a lot of home-and-home home sets away this year, too. The series against the Blues will now be the third in, like, two months that the Jets have had. Dallas, Detroit, and now St. Louis. Kind of weird that the Jets keep getting these back-to-back -back games, but I guess I'll take it. I mean... Familiarity breeds some kind of rivalry, I guess, or something, I don't know. Either way, it's a nice opportunity for the Jets to kind of chip away at the first place division lead. Considering the amount of uh, injuries that the Blues are currently struggling with, Winnipeg may have an advantage in those upcoming games. That said, the Blues are also still a tough team, and they've gotten better goaltending as of late. That could prove to be a bit of a challenge for the Jets, who are basically relying on goaltending on their own. The only relatively easy opponent, and I hesitate to say easy because this is still the Jets, but the easiest opponent is probably going to be either Minnesota or Chicago. Probably Minnesota. I think the Wild are a very winnable game, but it is on the road, and the Wild, for some reason, have had Winnipeg's number in recent years. 
last year's Minnesota team, if I recall correctly, kind of thrashed Winnipeg a good one, so I'm not feeling that great about this upcoming game. The Wild are pretty bad, but so are the Jets. And then the Blackhawks are kind of in the same situation. Um, Chicago's always an annoying team to play against. They don't even have to be that good, and they can still get random, decent goals. So, kind of hoping the Jets, you know, get a couple of points out of these next few games. Again, I think they are all winnable, but I, I just don't know how far this goaltending is going to take the team. This is a pretty tough schedule over the next couple of weeks, so it's going to be a big test for the Jets. Alright guys, thanks for listening. That wraps up tonight's show. Uh, as always, look for the next episode on Friday, and then Thursday's episode has been moved to this coming Saturday, so keep an eye out for that. Thanks again for listening, and go Jets go!